Welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 186. Today we're looking at the book of Romans, and we're starting chapter 2, verse 1, but I'm going to go back a little bit, a paragraph, to chapter 1, verse 25, and begin reading there. I want you to bear in mind that the chapter and verse numbers were were added after the Gospels and the Epistles were written and the Bible was put together. It's a way to organize the thoughts in the Bible, but it's very random. Um, the verses and and chapter divisions were put in probably as a function of copying. And so when somebody took a break from copying, they started a new number when they started again. It was just a way not to lose their place. And so the, the chapter and verse divisions are very arbitrary. They don't really fall in logical places a lot of the time. And this is one of those times where they probably do more harm than good because there shouldn't be a big number two in a second chapter. So I want to read right through the chapter break so that you get the, the understanding of what Paul's trying to say. I'm going to start in chapter one, verse 25, and then read the first 15, 16 verses of chapter two. So here's Romans chapter one, beginning in verse 25 and reading through the break. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human, who doesn't have the truth, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness, remember in that list there was insolence and arrogance and selfishness. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, uh, those two words in Greek are are versions of the Hebrew words for idolatry, different 
forms of idol worship because of your stubbornness, your stiff neckedness, and your unrepentant heart, your heart of stone towards the things of stone. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. That's a quote from the Old Testament. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. It is those who obey the law and who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who don't even have the law, do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness, and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. As my gospel declares. He calls it his gospel, his good news. Remember in chapter one, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's so not ashamed of it, he's made it his own. It is, in fact, his gospel. It's the gospel that saved him. It's the good news that God brought to him. And he owns it and now passes it on. It is our gospel. And and by using that language, Paul means to say in chapter 1, Look, the lost need the gospel. In chapter 2, look, those who know the law need the gospel. The unchurched need the gospel. The churched need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel because everybody lives under the tendencies of humanity to not live by the gospel, to not live in grace. And grace is the gospel. The good news is there's grace. There's grace for those who have no law and don't know the law and are living in in the effects of, of the world that would deny God even exists. But there's a gospel for those who live by the rules and the rules have become their God. And that book of rules has become what they worship and what they think 
constitutes God, and it does not. They're slaves in the other ditch to a different kind of system. One group is a slave to their own desires, and the other group is a slave to their rules. And neither one is in grace. And Paul wants everybody to know if you're in the left ditch or the right ditch, there's grace for you right down the middle of the road. So there is no excuse for you who pass judgment on others. Wow. Chapter 2 just starts right off the bat. So, therefore, means so. There's no excuse for you either who are pointing fingers at them. It amazes me that the people in our culture who want to point their fingers at the LGBTQRS crowd and say, Romans chapter 1 says that what you're doing is a sin. And they're shaking their finger at the people they're calling sinners and judging. And Romans chapter 2 verse 1 says, and there's no excuse for you either, who are passing judgment on other people because they're sinning in their disobedience and you're sinning in your disobedience. Because when you judge someone, what you say is, I don't trust God to judge you, so I'm going to do it for him. See? I was in an online discussion in a religious forum, in a religious context. A bunch of pastors who were talking about what's happening in their denomination and, and how wrong their denomination is to affirm the LGBTQRSTUV group. Well, yeah. Affirming them to the extent that you say, you're okay, God understands, God still accepts you just like you are, and, and doesn't want you, doesn't need you to change. Well, they were right for about three quarters of those statements, and then they, they departed from the scripture. God doesn't even want to leave me where I am. God demands that I continue to change. My pastor's holier than me, and God hasn't quit asking him to change. God still expects the Pope to do better. <laughs> right? No one in this world is done. As long as there's life, there's something more to accomplish for the kingdom. There's room to grow closer to Christ. It is sheer arrogance. And, and arrogance is one of the things listed as the sins that separate us from God in chapter 1. It is sheer arrogance to think that God's finished with me, that I have arrived, that I am now holy, as holy I'm going to be. No, you're holy because God called you holy. You're holy because you came to Jesus Christ and your old sinful self died. And this new self that is emerging into the image of Christ arose. But there's still way too much of you or me in that mix. My salvation killed my old self, but it didn't obliterate my personality, my 
character flaws. It may have obliterated all of the transgressions I committed before that time, but I'm still carrying Kevin into the new relationship with Christ. But now when I am tempted to do the things I used to do, I fall under conviction. And Jesus has, since the moment I got saved, been growing me up into a more mature Christian who doesn't intentionally transgress. That old nature is gone. That nature that sought to rebel, that nature that sought to do wrong, that nature that insisted on its own way, that's gone. But the same goofus that lived here 50 years ago is still here, still capable of doing the same stupid things, still with a penchant for saying the dumbest things at the wrong time. That person still lives here. That person still needs, as the Bible says, to live in this relationship to the extent that every thought gets taken captive to Christ Jesus. Because if he captures my thoughts before they become my words, then he can keep me from sinning. That would be a life of holiness, right? But to think that I've already arrived, to think that that process is, is not ongoing, to think that I somehow deserve the station of pointing a finger at someone else and saying, there's a sinner, that's arrogance. That's presumption. That's religiosity and legalism. That's way over in chapter one sin. I need grace. The more grace I have, the more grace I can extend. Now, there's a there's a thing here in chapter 2 that, depending on what church you might have grown up in, kind of glares at us. And, and it says, uh, where is it? It's down in verse 6. So I'm going to start in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, whether it's to do the sin of the world or to think that you have the right to judge, that's stubborn and unrepentant too. If I'm judging someone else, I'm busy not repenting for my own stuff. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay. Now notice there's quotation marks here. God, quote, will repay each person according to what they have done, end quote. Isn't that interesting? Because 20 verses earlier, in chapter 1, he said that our salvation is not about what we do. It's about partaking of the grace of God. That we can't earn it. That we can't work for it. And now... He says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. Well, what in the world? Did Paul lose his mind in the 20 verses in between and suddenly decide that this beautiful picture that he had of salvation by grace suddenly is now dependent on our works? 
that our judgment will be based on what we did? Well, no, not really. He's quoting. What is he quoting? If you have a Bible that has footnotes, you probably see that he's quoting Psalm 22. So, I'm sorry, Psalm 62. So if you really want to know what he's after, you kind of have to go back and look at Psalm 62. Psalm 62 says this, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Second time He said that. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on things. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Ah, he's talking about two groups of people here. Those who what they have done is run into God to find refuge there. They haven't done anything but relied on God, had faith in God. That's what they did. And the other group is the attackers and the slanderers and those who've done the sin and done the wrong and inflicted the harm. So when he says, God will judge everyone, you reward everyone according to what they've done, he doesn't mean your works. He means whether you relied on God or you relied on your stuff and your power. See? So Paul hasn't lost his mind in 20 verses. He's quoting Psalm 62 and saying, look, God is going to reward you for your faith, in him or your lack of faith in him. Right? There's a reward for not having faith. It's just not a very good reward. Nobody would want it. The reward is for relying on Christ. That's what we do as faithful people. We don't work our way into the kingdom of heaven by by feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and healing the sick and granting water to the thirsty. Sure, our life should bear that fruit, but it's fruit. That's not what gives us life. Just as the debauchery is not what sentences those debauchers to death. What you see 
is debauchery, but that's not the sin that is killing those people. The sin that is killing those people is denying God. Our righteous acts are fruit. They're not what's giving us life. What's giving us life is our faith in God, our acknowledgement of God, the opposite of what's killing the other people in their denial of God. See? Think of it think of it think of it as a tree. Either way, the tree bears fruit. Is it the fruit that gives life to the tree? No, it's the tree that gives life to the fruit. Where does the life for the tree come from? Where does the tree get its life? Where does it find its sustenance? Where does it find its nourishment? From the roots that run deep into the ground where there's water and nutrients, right? It's the roots that feed the tree. And the fruit is the expression of the life that the tree has. So for the unrighteous, for the lawbreakers, the sin came from the root. What you see born as the fruit of the sin is just the result. The sin came from where the roots lie. For the righteous person, for the law keeper, for the one who, who images Christ in this world, the imaging of Christ in his life isn't his righteousness. That's the fruit of his righteousness. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, and self-control. That's what that is. It's the fruit. Where did his strength come from? Not from anything that you see above the ground. It came from where his roots are sunk, into the gospel of grace. That's where his strength comes from. He runs into God whenever he's in trouble and, and sinks his roots deeper so that there's more resource for him to find righteousness and holiness from grace. See? Paul says, where, where are your roots? Where does your strength come from? Does it come from judging others? Are you, are you bigger because you made them smaller? Are you better because you showed how bad they are? Absolutely not. You're guilty of the same sin of, of, of denying that that's God's job. They deny that God exists and so they can live however they please because there'll never be any consequence. You deny that it's God's job to take care of the consequences when you try to condemn them. Back up. Step back into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, and self-control. Step back into bearing fruit like you're supposed to and leave them alone. Stop judging. Is our world lost? Yes. So how would you expect it to act if it were lost? Well, pretty much just like it does. Yes, yes. It's just being what it is. You're surprised at this? Is that a reason to point fingers and tell them how wrong they are? 
they're exactly what you would expect them to be being lost. They're lost. Are they going to find Christ in pointing fingers? No. No. Are they going to experience the grace of Christ from the people who are judging them? No. Will they darken the door of your church as long as you condemn them? No. That's not how you reach lost people. Come on, man. (laughs) Back up. Back up, back up, back up into grace. Sink your roots down into the grace and the long-suffering and the patience of Christ himself. And then look at your world with his eyes and meet them in grace and touch them in grace and love them in grace. Pray for them with grace. Don't be stubborn and unrepentant. Don't make the rules your God. Don't make the rules your standard when you have a gospel. You are the children of the good news. Why wouldn't you share the good news with people? Oh, Kevin, Ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. It's all love this and love that. It's all it's all grace and there's no law. God has laws. God has ten commandments. God had ten commandments to keep people alive until Christ could get there and share grace with them. The law, the rules, the commandments were there to keep people alive, to help them to survive until there could be a Messiah to tide them over. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish those things. I came to fulfill them. When the covenant is fulfilled, it's it's no longer necessary. We live above those things now. We live in holiness of heart. We live in walking with God himself, which nobody in the Old Testament could really do. We can The Bible says that angels long to be able to look into the things that we get to look into every day. We get to live in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they thought that if you got too close to God and you saw him, you would die. But we, with unveiled faces, stand in his presence every day, every moment that we'll take the time to draw into his presence and fall at his feet and say, Father, pile your grace on me before I go out into my world today so that when people see me, they might know your grace. I don't want to store up wrath for myself by being wrathful to other people. I don't want to store up judgment for myself by being judgmental of other people. To those who by persistence in doing righteousness seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. It isn't that they seek to do the good things. It's that they seek the righteousness. You see that? They seek glory, honor, and immortality. They seek righteousness. But to those who seek themselves, 
there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, whether they're Jew or Gentile. And glory and honor and peace for those who pursue the good, be they Jew or Gentile. God does not show favoritism. He has poured his grace out like an Oklahoma spring thunderstorm on this world. And all you must do is walk out and get soaked in it. Just walk out and stand in the grace. Having done all to stand, stand. That's it. You got the whole armor of God. And does he say, now go fight? No, he says, having done everything to stand, stand. Stand. Put your armor on and stand in the rain and get soaked. I've given you the armor to protect you from the attacks of the enemy. It's not to go attack other people with. Just go stand in the rain of my grace and let it wash all over you so that then what you have is a soaking of grace to go and give to other people. Friends, the final little verse here, verse 16 says, there will come a day when God will judge the secrets of people's hearts through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. He will judge the secret hearts of people through Jesus Christ. See, that's the gospel. He says, as my gospel declares, my judgment is going to pass through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, there are many on this earth who go out and every day do things in my name that I don't know. And one day they're going to come to me at the time of their judgment and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many great miracles in your name? Didn't we speak in tongues? Didn't we raise the dead? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we speak words of knowledge and wisdom? Didn't we tell people what to do for you? And I'm going to say to them, depart from me. I don't even know you. Because the Bible says that all power on heaven and earth and under the earth, all power to judge has been given to Christ. Our judgment is coming through Christ. And so if we have not tied ourselves to him in faithful, gracious relationship, in in communion, in daily communication, and living with him, in sinking our roots down into the grace of Christ and bearing gracious fruit, then our judgment will come through him and it will be, go away, I don't know you. But if I've walked with him, my judgment is still coming. Hebrews chapter 2 says, everybody's going to face judgment. But my judgment comes through Jesus Christ of whom Paul says God made him who knew no sin to be absolute sin for us, that in him we might become the absolute righteousness of God. 
You see, on the day that I asked Jesus Christ into my heart, I confessed my sin. I said, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm just a sinner. And that's all I am. And I've piled it up. I, without your forgiveness, I'm lost. Please, I confess that I've been wrong. Forgive my sin, please. Be my Lord and Savior. Fill my heart with your love. Put to death my old sinful self and raise up a new person in you. My judgment was held in that moment through Christ. Through Christ. I invited, I confessed my sin before the Father and I said, bring me my judgment now. Judge my life right now. Make Christ my Lord and Savior. And my old self was put to death. That was the penalty for my sin. My old self had to die, and it did. And the new self came to live in Christ. Not my own righteousness. Christ's righteousness covering me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, or I who live in Christ. So when my judgment came, the Father the Father looked at him and pardoned me. It's what the song says, it's what the Bible says, it's what the gospel says. That God, the just, was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. God saw the righteousness of Christ veiling the life of Kevin and and declared it righteous. And as long as I stay in Christ, my secrets have already been judged. My secrets have already been put to death. I could stand before God today perfectly safe and perfectly confident and and knowing that my home is in heaven in spite of anything wrong I've everything wrong I've ever done because it's been confessed to Christ and most of it to somebody else it's been drawn out it's been it's been pulled out of the closet so it's not a secret anymore and, and God's forgiven it. And I live free now. Free from all that old condemnation and shame. Free from all that old guilt and pain. My judgment has been had. I now live by the gospel. I now live by grace. Come with me. That's the best way to live.